Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to a Horse and Hound podcast advertising series. This is the second episode of our Denji Digestive Health series. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound, and I have two guests joining me today to discuss feeding the performance horse to avoid and manage gastric ulcers. So first up, let me introduce five-star event rider Alex Bragg. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm really well, Pippa. Really, really well. Glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you with us. And we also have Katie Williams, Denji's Technical and Product Development Manager, who also joined us on the first episode of the series. Hi, Katie. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Pippa. Lovely to be joining you again. So, Alex, let's start with you and kick off by talking a bit about your horses, your yard and where feeding fits into that. So give us a bit of an overview. Where are you based and how many horses do you have in your yard? Okay, so we're, we're based in Somerset, uh, just on the sort of edge of the levels. We have a yard of, I suppose we actually have about 25 horses here. Um, I try, I kind of range between 15 to 20 event horses. And, and then we also have my children's ponies into horses as well as some young stock. So it's, it's a real variety. Um, obviously the, the children's ponies and horses are still geared up to competing. Um, but their diets are slightly different to, to our sort of like, well, maybe not quite so different as people might think, as we might discuss later on in this podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we've a lot of horses ranging from, you know, three-year-olds right the way up to the, the top sort of five-star event horses. So, um, yeah, a, a wide range, but quite a lovely place and area of the country to live. We have good grazing, um, lots of turnout. You know, and that's also something which um, I think is something that we'll get more involved in later on in this podcast chatting about, because that is also related to, to how we might feed and, and manage our horses. Yeah, definitely. And I think, am I right in saying, Alex, you have three daughters when you're talking about your children riding? I, I do have three daughters, so I'm heavily outnumbered here at home in Somerset. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're, they're all dead keen into it and they would all have a a couple of rides each. So uh, there's no way that I'm getting out of this sport for many years to come yet, I don't think. <laughs> well, that is good news. And I know that your uh, your yard is such a family set up with your wife, Simone, as well involved. Um, tell us a bit about, about about that team, sort of between between family and staff. Who are the key players who keep everything turning on the yard? Um, well, I suppose it always sort of starts at the, the top with Simone and I. Um, that's where the decisions are made and things. But there is a, a serious structure to the yard, but we we do like to have that slightly more informal family feel. Simone and I had the children fairly young, so we've we've grown up in that sort of environment. It makes us feel really comfortable, uh, gives everybody security. And I think the staff that work for us, we the personalities that we go for really fit into that sort of mold. Um, I wouldn't say that there there was one person that just keeps the show on the road that that team thing means everybody has their role um and it's nice the the staff that we have now i would say is some of the best that we've ever had um and the way that they work together is probably the essential or critical part of that they the communication is great um so the consistency of the the management um and everything regarding the horses um is 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 brilliant and and that allows you to do a great job every single day so um i wouldn't want to pick one of them out because i think they're they're all amazing um and it's lovely that my children now my daughters are are growing up of an age where they will be out on the yard by themselves with our staff um with their horses and working and often helping um people would have seen that my eldest daughter now is nearly 18 and she's been doing a fair bit of event riding, um, even challenging me at some points in some of the competitions. <laughs> so, you know, she's out there and, and she's, she's learning from, from, from not just me, but, but from the staff on the yard about these key things about feeding and management, you know, turnout and et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's the sort of general sort of feel of it, but I, I don't know because I'm living in it all, all day, every day. 
Um, it's hard to sort of see how people might perceive that from the outside in and how different that is from other yards, because, uh, I never, I never did a, a young rider stint where I was able to go and base myself with other riders on other yards. Uh, our sort of yard was quite organic. It evolved with ourselves as we got more involved with the sport of eventing and it sort of started very small and grew as the, the sort of yard numbers of horses grew. Um, and we, we sort of tried lots and lots of different things to find the right system. Uh, and now, now I'm more, more involved in the sport at high level, elite level. Um, obviously I've then sought lots of technical advice and I've been to, to many seminars and, and watched lots of stuff, uh, via the internet now to, to try and try and sort of, uh, seek things from, from people, information from people. I feel like, a, I could describe myself a little bit as a magpie that you're, you're trying to steal little bits from everybody to see how that might fit in and improve your system. Um, and, uh, you know, this is where Denji have come in with their wonderful nutritionists, <laughs> which are just the wealth of knowledge. Um, and they, they've really helped us to understand how we can help our horses. You say feeding, but it is a digestive kind of subject because that does involve, uh, when you feed, how you feed, um, as well as your sort of turnout. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's basically, basically us in a large nutshell. <laughs> and tell us a bit more about that sort of yard routine. How, what does the typical day look like? How often do the horses get fed sort of a, a bucket of feed and how often do they get turned out? Do they get their forage sort of feed, their hay, their haylage, whatever it is they have. Tell us, give us a bit of an idea of what a, what a typical day looks like and, and where feeding might fit into that on your yard. Okay. So typical days, I'm, I'm very fortunate now because I'm doing horses like full time, but I get up every morning and one of our girls will come in at 7am on a regular day and feed the yard down if everything's in the stables. And then the rest of the staff will arrive at half past seven. At this time of the day, I'm having breakfast with my children, which is good. And, and I have the organized sort of structure of the day. So what exercise all of those horses do the day, it's all set in the diary. Um, a picture of that goes down on, on a sort of WhatsApp group. So everybody knows what's happening and then everybody starts the ball rolling to get that process sort of kicked off. I then will message down and say, look, please, can I have uh, so-and-so my first horse tapped up and ready to rock and roll. So they, they would put any necessary therapy treatments on that, whether it's a sort of magnetic rug or whatever prior to, to tacking it up. And then I sort of saunter down. We, we have our yard meeting and discuss the day, um, any sort of feedback from those, anything that's happened if horses have been brought in from the field. Uh, so there'd be a summertime and a wintertime sort of regime, which I'll discuss briefly in a sec. And we, we need to know if any horse has got any sort of cuts or injuries, or they've noticed any sort of abnormalities or something like that. So that's how the day really sort of kicks off. As I said, the first girl that comes in, any horses that are in get their breakfast feeds immediately. And then all the horses that come in from the, the paddocks will then have their breakfast feeds. In the winter time, the horses will be fed twice a day, um, minimum. Uh, and that's obviously morning and evening. If there, there are any horses that need to put on any extra weight gain, um, or they're in really, really hard work. Uh, then they, they may get a small lunchtime feed as well, just so we can split the volume of feed that they're having. And also if the horses are getting little and often that their appetites seem to, to be better. And as I think we should all know now that horses are geared up to eat for pretty much all day. Um, so it's better for them to keep chewing away gently than it is just to have one massive, uh, concentrated feed in one go. Uh, to keep a good baseline on everything, um, if they're not in the fields and eating grass, then we have hay. We steam all our hay to, to reduce the sort of dust and any sort of like, you know, bacteria that might be in it or whatever. Um, uh, and they'll have, they'll have hay fairly ad lib, which sounds crazy when we're getting horses fit for, um, you know, and you see them running at big four and five star events and they look. They look very athletic and they look lean at that point, but 
not healthy to keep a horse skinny. Uh, it needs to be uh, well in itself for its immune system to work well and all that sort of stuff. So uh, again, it's important that we remember their horses to get the best out of them. You've got to understand how their bodies work. So they, they have steamed hay that allows us, you know, Den Denzi always analyze all of that for us, which is, which is fab. So we know all the levels and we know that we're feeding that consistent baseline and then any hard feed or extra feed supplements that will be given, uh, can then be given specifically on top of that. Um, rather than if your forage, it, the consistency say of protein is different from week to week, uh, then your horses are going to get getting more or less, uh, pro rata. Um, so you might find one week that they're, they're lacking energy and the next week they're trying to buck you off and you're hanging onto your neck strap. So you really, you really want to make sure that you've got that as consistent as possible. Uh, so, so that's that. And, and we, we work through the list, um, and I don't really stop riding. So the girls prepare the next horse for me. Um, I finish, um, and if I'm fortunate and we've got enough staff in and I have a very busy day, um, I also have some work riders, which will bring the next horse in and start to walk and trot it around for 15 minutes, say for me. So I can finish with my one, get off, pass it to them, and I'll immediately get into training the next horse. Um, and that just uses my time, um, to its best really. And I can get through far more horses in a day. Um, but still giving them the correct work with the correct warm up and cool down periods, etc. Mm. And tell us a bit more about about feeding in terms of what the horses eat. I'm sure it's very tailored to each horse. But um, aside from that sort of ad lib steamed hay, if you're giving your horses sort of the, their feeds that they have morning and evening, and maybe that extra feed if they need it, is there sort of a, a basic feed that you start most of your horses on? Is there a sort of pattern? What feeds do they tend to get in those in those sort of bucket feeds? Okay, so my sort of ethos with all of this is if you understand a subject really, really well, then you can simplify it. Anyone that's trying to complicate it probably doesn't understand it well enough, whether that's training, feeding, whatever. So the more simpler it is, the, the easier it is to understand. And if something's not right, you've got uh, less ingredients to try and alter to get it right. So it always starts off whether it's a young horse or an advanced event horse, sport horse, uh, they always get alpha A oil. Uh, so that's the first thing you put in there. It's, it's great for them. They enjoy it. Um, the oil based in there is great for their coats. Um, oil, everyone knows is a great slow release energy. So that's really good for them. Um, and they can digest that steadily throughout the day to, to give them, uh, that sort of slow release energy, which is a, a key point with, with, um, any sort of like competition horses or when you're exercising them, you don't want that spike, uh, of energy. And then the horse to be flat a little bit like drinking too much caffeine or something It's short term, you feel great afterwards, you have like a hangover. So we want to avoid that. Um, and then a balancer. So a lot of the horses will actually be trained and compete just off of that, which sounds like they're not getting a lot, but horses are designed to work off of that, to, to run away from predators off of eating grass, basically. So it's always good to sometimes analyze the mineral levels in your hay and your grass and things, because that's something that with a balancer or, or a specific additive that you can, uh, you can kind of, uh, level up and make sure they get enough of, uh, and so that's it. And then when their workload steps up, uh, we, we would then add a little bit of hard feed on top of that, but, uh, but very, very small quantities. Um, I feel that you need to address your, your horse's sort of work style and fitness levels. If you're lacking energy rather than just trying to feed it more food, it's almost trying to find an easy option to, to make something better or make something right. And first of all, you've got to look at yourself look at your training system and say, actually, do you know what? Maybe my horse is tired at the end of the cross country, um, because I simply haven't got it fit enough. Not that I need to give it more food, because actually if you just give it more food, 
it's probably going to have too much energy at the beginning and burn itself out before the end, or it's just going to sort of pass through all the stuff that it doesn't need. So, uh, that, that would be my sort of approach. Keep it simple. Um, have your real structured base that keeps your horse healthy. Uh, cause again, if your horse's digestive system is not healthy, it, it's not going to actually make the best of the food that you're giving it. Uh, so if it's, if it's tummy is upset, uh, because it's ulcerish and I would say there's a lot more horses with ulcers than people either admit to, or people, um, are aware of. Uh, so that's, that's a sort of, uh, subject that we've got to address on a daily basis, not just, oh, my horse looks a little bit under weather and then, then start sort of getting the vet out. This is something you've got to be aware of on a daily basis from day one, that you're trying to prevent this rather than cure it. Um, so, so that's, that's basically it. Hmm. And Alex, you obviously supported by Denji and feeding Denji feeds. How do you work with the, the Denji team and nutritionists on your horse's feeding? You know, do they come out and visit? Do you talk to them on the phone? How does that relationship work? Uh, a little bit of both, actually. So they, um, they're wonderful, bubbly people, which is always great because, <laughs> you know, it just makes it nice. You want to speak to them, which, uh, and whenever you call, you never feel like you're, you're being difficult. They're, they always, you know, want to receive your call and actually they pay close interest to the, the competition horses and give us a lot of support, uh, just via that actually, but they, um, they'll always visit us in the spring, uh, cause obviously that's a vital time coming out of the winter with that season change where one, our competition season is about to start. Um, and also, you know, as the weather's breaking, you, you have a little bit more turnout than you were having. So. Anytime that there's going to be a change in season and a change of routine is, is great to see uh, a nutritionist in my opinion, because, uh, you want to make that as seem that, that sort of change as seamless as possible for the horses and, um, and their sort of condition, etc. Uh, and then I might ring them up with a sort of request, a more specific request. As I did only a couple of weeks ago with a, a batter horse, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later, um, that through, throughout the season, we had a few grumbles with some sort of, uh, some issues with her, if you like. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that we were dotting our I's and crossing our T's and making sure that we could do, we were doing the best that we could for this horse with its diet before we went to kind of look, look down other avenues. Um, which, which are going to be more difficult, more expensive to do. Um, so start with the basics and, and yeah, the, the Denji team are, are always exceptionally helpful and they're very, they're so professional and they're, they're doing it all the time. So that, you know, they're the sort of best of the best and, um, you know, that they're going to give you information they give you is going to be as helpful as possible. Um, and you trust that, you know, that's why, that's why we work with Denji. Um, and I worked with Denji before Denji ever supported us, um, because we felt that that was the best company as our baseline feed. Um, and then fortunately through our sort of successes and relationship with Denji, they came on board to support us. And, and I always feel it's the best way around to do that because you don't want to just be supported by somebody because they'll give you some free stuff. You know, you really want that stuff to be useful to you. And, and that's how that sort of evolved with Denji and, and, and that's how helpful they've become. And again, the more, the more I've sort of learned from them, I can now even ask more of them because I realize actually they, they have this wealth of knowledge, which I probably never tapped into to, to begin with. Um, so I'm, I'm probably exciting but a terrible client because I'm squeezing everything from them but they're they're absolutely brilliant with us <laughs> and uh, as you say we are going to talk about uh, I think that particular mare that you were just mentioning Alex in a little bit but Katie let's bring you in briefly to uh, to get your view on what Alex has just been describing about his setups and uh, how he works with your team give us give us a bit of uh, a bit of your feelings on uh, on what he's talking about and what's what's good about what Alex is talking about in terms of feeding performance horses yeah, sure. Thank you. Well, um, it's definitely just to reiterate the point that we, we always have had a philosophy of, of not sort of just giving people free feed and getting them on board. It's so important that they actually believe in the products because we want them to be ambassadors for 
not just the company and the brand, but the belief in the actual product doing a doing a job. So um, that's really you know our approach with everybody. Um, and Alex's approach to feeding is is great. I mean, it fits with our ethos perfectly in the sense that he puts so much emphasis on getting the sort of groundwork right. So you know, forage should be at least half of every horse's ration, and the, the greater the contribution or the proportion of an ingredient in a ration, the more impact it's going to have overall. So something that's at least half and probably three quarters in many cases of, of the diet is going to have the biggest impact on that animal. So it is crucial to know what you're feeding. And, and that's why the analysis you know, gives us so much information on which to base the rest of the rations. So that is obviously a great starting point. And, you know, things can still go wrong, but we're increasing our chances of problems if we don't get the basics right. So and that's why we spend the time and attention to detail with with the sort of forage and then building from there. Um, and, you know, as Alex described, he's balancing the ration for each horse. The, the emphasis is on forage and then we add in things if they're needed. And it is an if, not just the default position to go to pissing cereals and mixes and things like that, that can increase the risk of, of problems. And you know, that is a real shift over the last 20 to 30 years, because historically we've been looking at different ratios of forage to concentrates and I can remember doing pony club and BHS exams where you know concentrate levels exceeded the amount of forage and that's what we were being trained to do and um, it's one of the most fundamental shifts in in our approach to feeding um, over the last sort of 20-25 years really and I also thought it was fascinating actually how Alex talked about the fact that he hadn't been sort of a junior rider based somewhere which I think in some ways is actually really positive in the sense that he's been able to do his things his own way and actually look at things afresh because sometimes these sorts of traditional practices get handed down from generation to generation or a different rider that's based with with someone more experienced perhaps in their early career um, and they just you know, sort of carry on doing what's always been done because if it worked for them you know why change it whereas I think someone coming in with their own ideas and sort of a bit of independent thought has reviewed this and um, you know approached it in a different way. Mm, definitely. Well, it's good to to hear that reaction from you, Katie. Alex, let's talk about this uh, this case study mare, so to speak. I think that you're going to tell us a little more about the Roe family's 12-year-old mare, Quindiva. Give us a bit of an introduction to her. How long have you had her? What's she done? What's she like? Okay, so we purchased her from Ireland when she was turning six years old. I couldn't believe I've I seen her as beautiful mare, stunning to look at. And I, I, I couldn't understand why someone didn't have her in a competition yard already. <laughs> anyway, she came, she came back to the yard and, and then I, I soon realized why, because she, she, <laughs> is, uh, she, she's quite temperamental. She's willful. Um, and she did like to do things her own way. Uh, she was, she was very sharp. Um, so she could change direction quite quickly or decide not to go in a direction very quickly if that was her sort of you know, way that she wanted to be. Uh, so anyway, it was, uh, it was a, it was a slow burner to begin with. Um, I decided I wanted to go cross country with her because I wanted to be an event course. Um, she's a very careful jumper. Um, and she decided that cross country jumps were not that exciting and galloping across fields really wasn't that <laughs> exciting to start with. Uh, so, uh, being a mayor, uh, and I'd learned a little bit about mares then is, is you can encourage the issue, but you can't force the issue too much because they can become fairly sort of stubborn. And, and once they decide they don't like you, it, it's a long road back from that. So, uh, we didn't actually event her until she was seven in the summer of her seventh year, where we just went really steady over some little courses. And then as she got into the sport, she then started to realize that she enjoyed it. Um, and then from a mare that you sort of felt was a little bit backward within the sport. She suddenly just took up the bridle and was a machine and then went from strength to strength. So considering she did her first event when she was sort of summer of her seventh year, in her ninth year, she was four-star doing some four-star shorts. You know, that, that was the talent that she had. She was inexperienced at that level, but she was getting some good results at four-star short, you know, before COVID hit, um, which slowed everything down. Um, and now she's had great success at, with, at four star longs. She, she won two internationals in the summer and then was 10th at Blenheim this autumn. Uh, and 
you know, if all goes well through the winter, we, we'll be gearing up for badminton with her. So, uh, when it, when it started to, to go in the right direction, you know, there was nothing stopping her. She, she's a very gifted horse, but going back to her beginning days, being that little bit more temperamental, a little bit careful, she's very alert. Uh, she, she would internally stress quite a lot. Um, and this obviously, uh, can throw up a few problems in the fact that of stress related things, one with, uh, how they might react to stuff or overreact to things. Um, and then as we've got her fitter that we might discuss lightly that she's shown symptoms of tying up now, tying, tying up the could, could be sort of stress and hormonal related, which she definitely is because she's a stressy hormone mare, but the one big thing to look at. Uh, to help horses tie up is their, their diet, having a, a real sort of low starch diet and making sure, again, if it's stress related or diet related, you then have the issues of ulcers, which can exacerbate that. So we want to avoid her, her having a sort of problem with ulcers. Um, and obviously there are medications out there. We can have supplements out there that we can use to help reduce that or to manage it a little bit. But first of all, we want to make sure that her system's working uh, correctly because that's the best way long-term to, we're going to be able to, to train her comfortably to be able to then get the best out of her competition-wise. So that's a sort of brief overlook of, of Quindiva. Mm. And that's what, sort of what I was going to go on to ask about was about the sort of the, some of the, the, the health questions and issues that you've had with her. And you mentioned tying up there and, and how you've sort of changed her feeding and management to help with that. Just give us a bit more detail on, uh, on what you've done, which has sort of brought out the best in her, Alex. So first of all, like as, as I sort of said earlier, that, that, that sort of basic feeding style, um, I personally feel it is, is the best for, for any horse, um, let alone a competition horse. And, and you have to have that, that, I don't know, like we would, um, for example, half an hour before we ride a 30, 40 minutes before I was to get on and, and ride her at a competition or something like that. Um, we might give her a couple handfuls of alpha A oil to eat. Um, and it, it seems mad because you think all oh, that would give us stitch, wouldn't it? If we, we ate before we went running, but. For horses, a small amount like that, it, they, they eat it, their body's designed to be eating all the time and then galloping off. So, and it, it lays itself on top of the stomach acid. So when you start galloping around and doing all your stuff or dressage or jumping, that stomach acid will be washing around in the, the horse's gut. And that just stops it from splashing up onto the sensitive tissue, uh, the, the upper layer of tissue in the stomach, which. I'm sure Katie can explain much better than people of that side of it, but that's quite painful. It creates um, what we we know as ulcers, and, and they can be of different grades depending on the severity. So, and then I think it's once you feel that you're doing everything well, we, you've got that baseline feed right, you've got the training right, you're you're trying to help the horse feel more comfortable and happy in its way of going and way of work and its routine. Cause that's another thing. If your horse is upset with its routine, say you have lots of horses coming and leaving the yard and you see it on some livery yards, you have one that's banging the door and weeping and bobbing and it, and it's upset. Um, well, that's not going to do it any favors whatsoever because it's stress levels are going through the roof. So it's probably going into flight mode and it's probably got diarrhea and it's guts being stripped and it's not taking on all the sort of nutrients that you want it to. So first of all, address that. And then, um, and then it's those sort of 1% gains, those marginal things that can either tip something in your favor or just if you get it wrong. And, and that's where the nutritionists, the specialists come in and doing all their analysis could just be the, the key to getting it just right to make sure it works and you are looking at fine lines when these horses are fit and you are dealing with competition sort of sport horse mentality. So they are very alert. They're very sensitive. These small little things make a huge difference. And, and that's where, that's where these guys uh, are so helpful to, to us, um, on sort of advising us then, really. 
Mm. Katie, let's uh, bring you in again here. Tell us a bit about your take on Alex's experience with Quindiva and, and how he's used feeding to help her. Sure. Well, I think we're all the time trying to sort of put the emphasis on fibre and oil as energy sources and keep the starch as, as low as possible. So that's sort of rule number one when it comes to potential muscle issues. It's also looking at things like changes to routine. So, you know, Alex is great because he turns his horses out. Um, I think some of them go out overnight. So they've got a long period of time where they're actually grazing um, and grass is full of water as well. So, you know, 80% of it is actually water. So in terms of hydration for an elite sports horse, um, they're, they're taking on plenty of water through through what they're consuming. And when we go to a competition, we, we often turn all of that on its head. We're putting them in, you know, temporary stables which are often quite small or my experiences about them generally are um the you know particularly in this instance you'd want an animal that's prone to sort of muscle issues to be moving around slowly obviously in sort of controlled environment but you don't really want them um contained in a small area and it sort of doesn't make any sense for an animal with a, a muscle issue to sort of have them sedentary so all of those things are contributing to a, a risk level and what we're trying to do is counteract as many of those as, as we possibly can now some of them are unavoidable unfortunately you know at the moment I believe you have to go and you stable at an event for the whole time whereas if we could perhaps drive them in or have them locally in a field nearby or something like that which would be a more natural regime for them you know it'd be ideal but obviously you know that's not possible in in many cases so we're trying to offset that with what we're using so it might be using more water in the feed using soaked or mashed products to take more water in um, and trying to do as much controlled maybe walking in hand things like that just to give them scope to move around and you know, Alex has talked about how Queen Diva is quite a sensitive soul so again being stabled next to new horses that she's not met before that adds a level of, of stress and, and certainly risk to um, muscle problems happening so there's things we can do. We might use grass pellets soaked into a mash or things like the alpha beat to try and help get water in. And obviously, we you know, we haven't talked about electrolytes. It's not something we do, but it would be something we would recommend any rider competing at a high level to have um, in their ration. And it's essentially replacing what's lost through um, the sweat, the sort of salts that you would find in sweat. And, and all of those factors, again, have been shown you know, to contribute to the risk of a muscle problem or tying up or um, RER, as we might call it these days. So um, there's things we can do, but the emphasis is on plenty of fibre and using fibre and oil as, as energy sources and then balancing the ration. Mm. And let's take this out a little more generally to talk about the feeding of performance horses. What are the key things that people should remember when they're, they're looking at feeding, whether it's a yard full of horses or, or one performance horse, Katie? What should people keep on their mind? Yeah, well, we're always trying to find that balance between health and performance. And, you know, I often refer to sort of human athletes who've apparently come from nowhere to, to win amazing golds or break records. But it's often because it's for the first time in their career that they've actually had an uninterrupted preparation for, for a big event or a big game. So, you know, it, it's replicating that with the horse as a general principle. If we can focus on their health, keep them well enough to train and train at a high level, then they're going to be able to compete to their potential. Um, and for me, again, it starts with the right base of a forage um, diet and then building from there using high quality forages in your bucket and balancing that ration. And all of that links to behaviour as well. You know, so many competitions are <laughs> always like won or lost outside of the actual ring in the you know, warm up area or horse has a meltdown because it's so full of cereal based feeds which tend to put horses in a much more reactive state um, and you know when behavior is compromised you see race horses that lather up and very sweaty in the in the paddock and you know the, as Alex I think mentioned earlier by the time they get down to the start line and actually trying to perform they've, they've just burnt themselves out so it's about finding the diet that's right for them to be able to perform but also keeping them calm and focused on the job in hand um, you know, with, with eventing in particular, you've, you know, you've got three disciplines to try and perfect and hope that by the day three uh, in a, a big event that you've still got the stamina. And that's, again, where oil can be very useful because it helps to um, improve stamina. It's called a glycogen sparing effect. So the animal's using um, oil when it's working at lower intensities, so everything that it needs when it's 
performing at fast, high intensities as they're ready waiting for it. So, um, yeah, those sorts of things are, are key. Um, and I think lastly, actually, research is showing that the sort of end products of what we get from when fibre is fermented have a function in the sort of neurotransmitters um, that affect mood and behaviour. So for an anxious animal like Quindiva, um, you know, having this sort of fibre-based diet is very much helping to keep them, them calm. We've, we've only really just scratched the surface in our understanding um, about the impact of fibre. We know it's a slow-release energy source, but it actually goes further than that in terms of how the brain um, talks to the to the gut and vice versa. And I think we, we now talk about the gut as being the second brain um, in animals. So, yeah, I think that probably sums up what we're trying to achieve within a performance horse. Mm. And you you touched uh, in that on some specific energy products and feeds that might be useful to riders feeding those horses in harder work. Let's just recap on those as well. What sort of energy products might those riders be looking out for and, and putting into their horses? Well, the Afro range have been the stalwarts for a long time now. So um, the original had the sort of molasses coating, which has fallen out of favour, I think, across the board. So like Alex, most people prefer the, the higher levels of oil. It gives you good slow release energy. It helps improve stamina. They look fantastic in their coats and conditions. So that's probably the sort of go-to product I would suggest for most performance animals. And um, more recently, we've introduced the performance fibre, which is quite popular in in racing because it's more palatable. And these super fit animals tend to be less inclined to eat generally, but also in particular fibre. So by combining grass and alfalfa, we've got a little bit of natural sweetness that encourages them to, to eat up. Again, it's very high in oil, um, but you don't get the full benefit of alfalfa buffering. So the alfalfa would always be the first port of call if they will eat that and happy to eat alfalfa oil, great. And then your performance fibre is probably option number two. And I say that also because if horses are on things like um, omeprazole to help try and manage um, ulcers, it's the medication sort of go-to what medication really for managing ulcers, then there is some evidence to show that it actually starts to impact on the animal's ability to absorb calcium from the digestive system. Um, the same happens in humans. If you're taking ulcer medication, you're less likely to absorb calcium as efficiently. Um, and there's been a study done by the, the KER research group over in America, Kentucky Equine Research, um, and they found that this reduced um, calcium absorption does seem to be happening in, in horses too. Now, it's purely um, theoretical at this point in time, but there is some indication and concern that that could increase the risk of things like bone fractures, particularly in younger horses. Um, so the advice is to try and increase your, your calcium intake. So not only does calcium act as a, a natural buffer in the stomach, but it's also obviously important for building bones and, and other tissues. So increasingly the importance of calcium is, is being more and more recognised um, for these horses, particularly if they have ulcers and, and need to have the medication um, to treat those ulcers. Mm. And I was reading on the Denji website as well, Katie, about the importance of a cool down period for horses after hard work and how that feeds into the lymphatic system and, and feeding. Um, and as you can tell, my memory is a little hazy. Can you remind <laughs> us about that and, uh, and what we need to remember about that with horses who are working harder? Yes, I think probably the lymphatic system is one of those areas that we don't, until we potentially have a problem or an issue, we don't tend to pay much attention to it. And possibly the, the vis visual sign, I suppose, that most people might see are things like filled legs, um, which is where you know, the lymph is, is generally collecting at, at the sort of... Um, in the horse's limbs, lower limbs. So the lymph system doesn't actually have a, a pump. So in the circulatory system, we have the heart, which is responsible for pumping blood around the body. Whereas the lymph system, although singing fluid is moving around the body, it actually does so um, in response to pressure. So you have the little lymph um, sort of bead-like collector vessels. So they will keep filling up as the lymph pushes through. And then when it, it reaches a point there's enough, it then pushes through and into the next one and so on. Um, it's also aided and, and stimulated, if you like, by muscle contraction. So exercise and movement helps it, um, as well as the movement of the gut, which the technical term for is, is peristalsis. So what a lot of people wouldn't be aware of are just how many lymph nodes the horse has, these little bead-like collectors. There are about 8,000, which is in contrast to around 600 in, in humans. And half of them in the horse actually are in the colon, so the horse's digestive system. 
And you know, it fits, doesn't it? The horse, as Alex mentioned right back at the beginning, is designed to spend you know at least 16 to 18 hours of every day eating. So it's got this consistent flow of, of forage through the gut. And that constant or continuous peristaltic movement will help to clear the lymphatic system too, because the pulsing of the gut helps facilitate the flow of, of the lymph. And the lymph is important because it's clearing waste products. So in an elite performance horse, when they're exercising, you're going to have more sort of byproducts of energy metabolism produced, the sort of waste products coming from the cells. They need to be cleared from the body and that's where the lymph system comes in. So it is important that the two go hand in hand. We feed plenty of forage and fibre to keep the gut moving. It helps clear the lymph system. And again, Alex alluded to the fact of warming up and cooling down and how important it is. And that cool down period in particular is again helping the lymphatic system clear the waste products from the exercise that you've just done and if you do all of that and don't keep your horse sedentary in a stable as well then again it helps to avoid things like the filled legs which is usually the visual sign that you see if, if something's perhaps not working as it as it should um, so yeah that that's a, another reason why high fiber diets are really important for these performance horses and, and one that isn't often discussed Hmm. And just thinking about performance horses and sport horses, they can often be quite poor doers. Sometimes it's difficult to keep weight on them. And if you saw a horse where the owner was having that sort of problem, what would you be maybe recommending there that, that riders do? Checking the health of the digestive system is always your first port of call. So are they actually able to chew efficiently? You know, it's, um, poor dentition can be diastomas, which can affect horses of any age. So that's abnormally large gaps in between teeth. So feet can become impacted and, and cause um, decay of the tooth and, and obviously which is very painful infections, that kind of thing. Is there a worm problem if you don't know the history of your horse and you've recently acquired it then it is well worth doing faecal accounts and checking whether worming is required deal with all those sorts of underlying potential issues that could be compromising the ability of the horse to get the most from the feed that you're putting in um, if there's an animal that has loose droppings diarrhea those kind of issues gets very stressed at competitions and sort of goes to the loo more regularly. Um, everything's going to be passing through the gut much more quickly. And we need to try and address that either with the use of prebiotics or, or yeast, those sort of digestive aids that helped, again, to keep the gut healthy and help the horse get more out of the feed that you're putting in. Um, and certainly more acidic diets can have an impact through the gut. So we've seen in other species and more recently in the horse that, um, Using high levels of cereals, the level of acidity that is created actually reduces the absorption area in the small intestine, as well as all the impacts it can have in the stomach and the hindgut. And um, the small intestine has lots of little finger-like villi that sort of stick into the, the lumen or the hole that goes through the gut and they increase the surface area. Now, as a rough estimate, if you flattened the horse's small intestine out and all these little villi, you'd probably probably cover the about the surface area of around three tennis courts. So it has a, a huge impact on how much um, absorption capacity you've got. Now, if those villi wither away, which tends to happen if you've got a, a more acidic diet, then you're reducing the ability of the horse to absorb nutrients. So again, less is more in this context. If you've got a poor dealer and you've been feeding bucketfuls of cereal-based feeds, you could well actually be doing a bit more harm than good, to be perfectly honest. So um, we tend to come back to basics, get the gut healthy, lots of forage and high fibre materials, and then build from, from there. Um, again, depends on whether the horse is chewing, if we need to, um, chewing okay. So if we need to tailor the diet so the fibre's in a more soft and easy to chew format, we can do things like that by using mashed or pelleted fibres to make life easier for them. But I think getting to the root cause of the problem is obviously key. Um, and Again, basic rules of feeding, they're there for a reason. Feed little and often, don't overface them with big meals. Um, and you can also use those high quality forages in the sort of short chop format as partial hay replacers. If your forage is poor quality um, and it's not as good, but it's what you've got, then we can top up with um, higher sort of quality forages in trugs or buckets in the stable, treat it as an extension of the hay net. Um, and they're just going to get more from, from what they consume and that can help you know, counteract some poorer quality forage if you know if that's what you've got and you've got to use it and um, then there are ways around it so they would be some of the things we would look to do to, to help get weight on these horses 
Mm. And uh, we're touching on gastric ulcers all the way through this series as something that uh, Denji's constantly looking to help help owners and, and riders with. And we took a real deep dive into the horse's digestive system on the first episode of this series with vet Julia Shrub. So do go back and listen to that. But I think it's worth recapping a little bit on ulcers here, Katie. A quick reminder about things that people should look out for, which might indicate that a horse is suffering from gastric ulcers. Yes, well, the more traditional signs are usually sort of poor condition, weight loss, um, not performing particularly well, um, inappetence, and just the classic if they're turning around to bite you when you're doing the girth up or maybe the rugs, uh, singles, things like that. Um, they're obviously uncomfortable and they're showing it by trying to bite you when you're in that sensitive area. Um, we know now that it's not always the underweight horse that has ulcers. So um, if you've got those other symptoms, but they look in good condition, it could still be a, an issue. And another key one is when they're not wanting to go forward when exercised. So the actual act of moving is causing them discomfort. And that, you know, if, it, if that's out of character, so you've seen that change in behaviour, um, then that's you know, something worth exploring with your, with your vet to get a, a definitive diagnosis. Mm. And we talked with Julia about how you would go about that definitive diagnosis in the first episode. So do tune back into that if you want to know all about, uh, I think, a gastroscope was the uh, the, the, the big word that uh, is what you probably <laughs> <Yes>. need. <laughs> and the main things that riders and grooms should do in their feeding to prevent gastric ulcers, and it's certainly one of them Alex was touching on earlier, and we'd be talking all the way through about fibre and times of feeding, but uh, a quick quick rundown on, on, on main things for riders and grooms to look out for if, say, a horse has had gastric ulcers and you want to prevent them from reoccurring? Yeah, I mean, feeding is always about trying to sort of reduce the risk. So um, you know, your medications are really what are going to treat and try and sort of cure these issues. But um, as general guidance, then trying to reduce starch in the ration is is key. Um, you know, the acidity associated with feeding cereals is, is one of those big contributing factors. So using fibre and oil as energy sources in, instead of cereals. Um, and I think, again, Alex has talked about it, Julia mentioned it. If you can try and feed uh, a double handful of sort of chopped fibre, or if they've been eating their hay net, around 20 to 25 minutes before you're about to exercise, it helps to keep the... Um, the sort of acid splash at bay so it's the exercising on an empty stomach where the acid can move around there's nothing to stop it and that very sensitive area is the sort of top half of the horse's stomach is then prone to, to ulceration so just the, a small amount of feed in there does enough to just stop it and suppress that acid splashing around and obviously where you can try to keep stress levels down there is evidence to show that that can be a, a contributing factor as well now it's not always practical because you know these animals have a job to do in the elite sports world but um we can try and mitigate risks um by making their life as as comfortable as possible great thank you katie and alex you've been waiting very patiently let's bring you in again before we finish off could you maybe share with us one thing that you've learned about feeding from your experiences with your sort of yard of, of elite horses over the past two years yeah i mean it, it's it's actually great getting that amazing recap from katie there about some of the really important things to to think about um but i would say uh what we're trying to do is is build consistency um, and that great saying of uh, a happy workforce is a more productive workforce. So we, we want to try and find happy, healthy horses so we can consistently train them. Um, and I would say, again, people can put so much effort into trying to get their horses in better condition, but because it's maybe not educated and in the right direction, um, they're putting all that effort and it's, it's it's going to no use and actually like Katie was saying they could be causing a bigger problem if they're feeding too much of the wrong things so so actually trying to get a really structured approach um and always review it you know keep keep reviewing and reflecting upon what you're seeing and what you're feeling in the horse and uh, not just in in riding but in habits uh, that the horse has again like how when you're putting rugs on and off you know is the horse looking agitated? Um, you might, it might not be very comfortable somewhere, so you might have to address that. So I think it's a little bit more making sure you take a real holistic approach um, and, and try and uh, pay attention to your horse's behaviours um, and, and, and then trying to act upon it. 
but yeah, definitely having, having the structured approach, um, simplicity is best. Uh, so you can address certain areas of your feeding rather than, you know, have it, it scared me once I went to someone's tack room and they had <laughs> 10 or 12 bags of feet that they were having a quarter scoop of this and a little bit. And I was like, oh my word. I mean, how do you get this right? And if it's not right, where do you start? So having that real structured, simple approach, um, makes it work for, for all of our horses. And, um, yeah, I'm happy to say most of them look really, really comfortable and keep their condition. And again, as we've touched on, it's having that stamina, that everyday sort of, uh, fuel that the horses can go into. So, um, uh, and I think that that all comes down to not just about what you're feeding like there and then the day before, but actually the horse's condition that it's sort of built up, um, over months and months of, of having a real sort of healthy diet. So that's what I've learned over my sort of nearly 20 years now of being involved in eventing. Um, but it is just, it's paying attention, uh, to, to your horses. Um, and yeah, just ask, ask the specialists, you know, that they're, they're there, they're available. And then it, it will just, it will just help you have a a better structured plan for, for sort of getting the best out of your, your feeding. And then ultimately your horse's performance, which is what we're aiming for. Mm. And I was just going to add to actually that you can ask us about any element of the diet and other products. Um, you know, if you want a relatively independent opinion on whether a product's necessary or, or not, um, like Alex described earlier, you often see lots of feed and supplements in tack rooms and feed rooms. And the trouble is because horses can't talk to us, you never know really what's working. So you keep putting things in and then understandably you're reluctant sometimes to take them out in case they might be working. So if you want a review of what you're feeding, you know, you can ask us or other feed companies about it to give you an expert view of whether these things are actually worth having in your horse's bucket. And uh, you can find the uh, number for Denji's feeding helpline on the Denji website at denji.com. Well, thank you, Katie, and to Alex for joining us too today. It's been really good to chat to both of you about all these issues and uh, points around feeding. Thank you both. Thank you. You're welcome. See you later. Thank you for listening in to the second episode of the Denji Digestive Health Series. We also wanted to let you know that Denji have released a webinar with Katie and vet Julia Shrub, which is available to watch on the Denji YouTube channel if you're looking for more insight on these topics. Here on the podcast, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time to talk about feeding leisure horses and good doers. Talk to you then. Mm-hmm.